Hi, this is Carrie, and welcome to Tandem Talks, a podcast meant to empower you to live your life your way. And I'm Craig. Join us as we go deeper with entrepreneurs and their journey creating success in business and life. Welcome to Tandem Talks, everybody. We are very excited and blessed to have Amy Vlashka out of the San Francisco area here as our guest today. And as Amy's background, she's really made a career offering stories as a service. From her degree in film to three decades um, spent branding products, places, and people. And she's a social media ghostwriter, which I want to dive deep into. Um, and she helps leaders craft their stories commun- to communicate and connect better by magnifying their reach and their impact. Um, she's a longtime leadership contributor for Forbes, and she regularly shares content through her popular newsletter called Illuminate Me. And I can personally attest to it being both hilarious and very impactful. And so big welcome, Amy. I really want to start by just having you share a little bit of the evolution of Amy. And I just love the diversity in your background and a lot of unique facets of it that I know a lot of people aspire to get to those places in terms of, you know, Forbes and growing your company. So let's hear a little bit about your journey from straight from the source. Okay. Well, thanks for having me. First of all, Carrie and Craig. Um, yeah. So I, I have what I like to call a non-linear career path. And I think there are many people that probably have the same. So um, when I'm asked about, oh, how did you become a social media ghostwriter? Which, yes, it's a thing. People are like, that's a thing. Um, it, okay. We'll go way back. Okay. So I was the really shy, creative kid, right? Little creative Amy in there in the corner writing stories, drawing, painting, all that was in my wheelhouse. And, and, you know, I say shy because people that meet me now are like, no, no way. You know, and I'm like, no, super shy, like hiding behind my mom's leg shy. And, you know, but the thing about that was I was very, and I still am observant, right? It's all about taking in the world around me. And, you know, I have two sisters and I'm the middle of three. And I'd always watch my older sister, who's, you know, typical firstborn, like super strong, great at everything she does. And it, to the point of just like hitting her head into like a brick wall rather than trying to find the door. And, you know, so a lot of my observation was around how people behave, mm-hmm. right? How they move through the world and kind of like, gosh, there might be a better way to do that. And then how are they talking about what they do? And all these things, even as a young kid, I inherently knew there was something there about, how people, you know, talked about what they did and their stories and what made them uniquely them. Right. So I always knew I wanted to do something creative. And I don't mean like, I mean, we all have creative hobbies, right? It wasn't that I wanted to be paid to be. (laughs) And, you know, so it was like, it wasn't enough, like, oh, I'm going to renovate my kitchen. And I, and I do love DIY stuff because I'm all about transformation. Right. I, I see the potential and the possibilities in everything. I'm that person that can look at an empty lot and go, oh, here's what we can do, you know? So anyway, I, I knew that, but you know, you, you move through life and, and you have the voices in your head that are like, well, you need to have something practical so you can get a job. You need to be able to do this. And, you know, it's like, okay. Um, so I went through school and I ended up getting my degree in, um, in visual arts, but through film and media, because I was like, well, God, You know, how perfect would this be to be a filmmaker and be able to tell my story? And even though I've always loved writing and that was my my minor was communication, I'm a highly visual person. So I I see things that aren't there 
I can envision things that aren't, and I see the way something can be presented. So it's like, ooh, I can marry the visual with the verbal. How cool would that be? Now, it is cool. However, graduating with that degree, shockingly, I couldn't get a job right out of school as a filmmaker, you know? So yeah. it's like, cool. <laughs> what? So, like, what is creative adjacent to that? What can I do that kind of still keeps me in sort of that environment? And so I ended up in what I call agency land, right? So, advertising, marketing, PR, kind of anything like that. And, and that was great. And I loved it. And I did that for 10 years. Um, but what happened was that instead of being, say, the copywriter, I ended up on the account side. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love people. And I really would figure out what makes them tick. And I think those gifts that I have of just being able to understand people, listen to them, kind of get where they're coming from, really lended themselves well for me excelling on the account side. So I could think strategically, I could communicate with the different groups of people, whether they're the client, whether it was a creative, whether it was, you know, a, a production, somebody who was much more logical. I knew how to kind of speak many different languages. And I ended up in this liaison role, which suited me, middle kid, like, okay, <laughs> now that's great. Right. And I excelled yeah. in that. And that's terrific. And ended up, you know, being a branding consultant, which is all about sort of those visual and verbal touch points. So, hey, it kind of harkens back to the, you know, the, what I was studying and in, in film. However, what started to happen was this divergence from sort of account Amy and creative Amy. And you can be really successful in something and be miserable, right? Yeah. And I wasn't miserable that because I was still in this creative environment. But you know, this is at the time when I'm traveling to Atlanta for Coke or to Minneapolis for General Mills. They were a clients and you're doing this. And at the time, my husband and I were like, wanted to start a family. And I'm like, you know, this sort of like, this isn't going to work with, right. with kids, right? There's no way the commute the you know, the hours, all these things. So after we had our first daughter, we have two. Um, it was, I did the shocking thing of staying home with her. No one thought I would. They're like, what? And, uh, and that was great. It was a, a, you know, I'm a curious person and I love to just kind of immerse myself in new things. That's the way you learn. And, but it got to a point where we both needed to talk to people our own age. So I think she was around 16 months old or something. And um, like, well, gosh, I really, this isn't going to make sense. You know, at the time we're living outside of San Francisco, commuting in and then being on a plane, that's not going to work. And so I was like, well, what else can I do? And I just sort of on I'm like, well, let me start. It's been forever since I've interviewed, right? Uh, what's that? And um, my friend at the time, her husband was the head of the board, newly new board chair of this something called a destination marketing organization, which is all travel and tourism. And I'm like, wait, there, there's something here. And it's like local because it was like this regional organization in the community in which I live. And he's like, oh, my God, he was like, I just took over. But our, you know, our CEO was caught embezzling and all this bad stuff that happens in nonprofits. And so he's like, you should interview for this. And I'm like, what? I come from the corporate world. What? what? And it's like, just do it. So I'm like, well, what could it hurt? I need the experience. And it turned out, you know, I made it in the top two. And then they offered me the job. And when people go, well, how did you go from like branding to like tourism? But it, the common thread here is it's telling a story, right? So it was telling the story of a destination. It was all about drawing them in, right? Enticing them to come and visit, having, treating them well, having an amazing time. And then they go and they tell their friends and rinse and repeat. So, um, and not surprisingly, 
travel and tourism and hospitality in general are very much service oriented, right? Everybody wants to make sure that you're having a good time. So whether you're at an attraction, you're at a restaurant, you're at a hotel, whatever. So I stayed there in, in that role and then beyond that role for 10, 15 years because the people, right? It always came back to the people. Now, again, I mentioned this before, you can be great at something and be miserable. It got to the point though, I left that CEO role after building because I could see the possibilities. We transformed it. We, you know, after coming from somebody who had embezzled money, it's like I had to establish trust with these five different cities that were funding us. I had to create a new revenue stream to build the team up, kind of say, it's okay, you know, we'll make it better. And we did. And I'm really proud of that. But, you know, I left that and I was consulting then, which is when I first went out on my own. So I've gone from corporate to nonprofit to being an entrepreneur and kind of out there on my own. And the natural thing, the low hanging fruit was, well, just consult with these like organizations. Now that was great, did well, but you know, that, that little creative Amy that resided inside me that really was only getting little snippets and, and, you know, scraps when I would like sit down to write on the side really wasn't getting fed and I was miserable. And the last thing I did before I switched over from being, you know, more of an organizational consultant with these tourism entities to a writer was this organizational audit and it's as sexy as it sounds right i got it done it was great but i'm like i am dying inside i need to do something else and along the, along that about the same time this is when linkedin which had previously only allowed their their self-proclaimed influencers right this is what linkedin says you're an influencer not you're telling right. people you are um they'd only allowed them to publish, right? They would put out articles and things. And so they'd opened up the platform and I had started doing that. And I became friends with someone who was one of those influencers. I followed what he did and offline. He's like, you know, and I would talk about, oh, what I really want to do is this, right? I'm doing this and I'm successful, but I really want to do is this. And he's like, you know, Amy, you're a writer. You need to write, you need to do this. And it sounds so simple, right? When somebody else points it out that what you should do. But I think so much of, of what prevents us from really jumping into what we want is fear, right? And it's those little voices in our head that say, oh, well, you can never do that, or that's not practical or whatever. So until we shift those, and until I was able to say, I am a writer, you know, um, that sort of changed everything. Because when I started to say it, other people actually believed it. And of course you have to back that up, right? You can't just claim things that you can't, you know, no business claiming. But certainly that was the first step. And then from there, um, the more I did it, the better I got at it, the more I could refine it. And I think what else is really important was in the beginning, I talked about, I, did, I could do anything, right? You're so like, well, yeah, I can do that too. And sure, I'll write this and write this. But niching down and focusing, narrowly focusing, actually is much better. And I'm so happy I'm doing that because now it's like, I like to say it's putting your talents to their highest and best use right? I can do other things. Like, yeah. If you want to pay me to do an organizational audit, sure, I can do that. But man, I'm not going to be happy. And that's not really what I want to do. So we're both better suited if, you know, you hire me to be your social media ghostwriter, then I can really help you. So that's sort of been, I mean, look at, I've had like 30 plus years of experience, but it's taken me till I was later in life to really make that jump and mm -hmm. kind of come back to that creative Amy. So it's been a bit of full circle. But now yeah. people are like, well, of course you're a writer, you know, but, you know, right. making that jump is scary when you're like, I, I think I am. <laughs> so.
Yeah. Well, what a what a great adventure and definitely not a direct path, as you mentioned, right? No. Uh, but I think that that's how we actually can find what we love and what we're good at is to explore. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do the exploration, then we're kind of just in one lane thinking that's it or dreaming about it and not willing to put ourselves out there. That's that right. And, and I think that's really important because yeah. people think they should know. Like I used to get down on myself thinking, well, ugh, everybody else seems to know what's going on and what they want to do with their lives. But you won't know it unless you try. And, and there's no harm in trying and figuring out, yeah, that's not what I thought. You know, so I try to tell our girls the same thing. Like you don't have to have it all figured out, but you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to come out of the shadows. You have to try and be willing to don't think of it as a failure. Think of it as learning. Right. It's like, OK, now I know better what I don't want. And sometimes that's <laughs> how you get at what you want is like, oh, because even if you think, you know, I want to be an ex or I want to do this, you get there and you go, oh, crap, it's <laughs> not what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think right now entrepreneurship is so glorified, too. Right. In mm-hmm. society, it's like, oh, be an entrepreneur, be an entrepreneur. And, and um, that's great. But it's also really hard. You know And I mean? There's days that are not easy. and so. Uh, maybe can you just talk, you have, you have a really neat step where you went from having two jobs or a CEO type role really, to then going out on your own. And even though it wasn't in your passion, you like had that faith in yourself to like, just go do it. And then at least you had control. So can you just talk a little bit about maybe a mistake or some tips that you might give someone like making that maneuver and making that transition? Like what kind of comes up for you as you did that? And then, and then obviously from there, you then took that skill and you merged that in with what you love, like the writing component, the creative component. But first you sort of started in an entrepreneurial space that was comfortable that you thought you could create success in essentially, right? Right. So the, yeah, it wasn't this like black and white jump. I mean, I think it was a little bit, uh, it was a strategic transition in that right. it was like, okay, Let's be real. Like there is a real need as much as it's glorified to be an entrepreneur. Oh, it's so wonderful. And it's all the, you know, the Instagram worthy bottles and models and (laughs) Ferraris and whatnot. It's it's hard. And the the thing about going out on your own is that it's both the, you know, blessing and a curse is success is all on you, but success is all on you. And, you know, I figured out that the environment that I do best in is more entrepreneurial. I didn't know it at the time, but more entrepreneurial in nature where it's, I don't have, I, I can't stand someone micromanaging me. Right. It's, and, and so this is the way I led was like, look, I trust you. You're, I got the smartest people at you do your thing. If you need me, I'm here, but I'm going to let you do your job because that's the way I prefer it. And you know, you, you understand, like for me, what's really important for me, autonomy, right? And the autonomy is like, not only like, leave me alone, let me do my job, but I think it's, it's having control of my schedule, having those things. So yes, you need to earn a living, but it's marrying sort of like, what's important and how do I do this? So for me, it was leaving a W2 job, right? But going into something, it's sort of, that's related to what I was doing, where I already had those relationships established. I, you know, people knew me, they, that was, I was a, you know, had proof of concept because I had led this organization and built it and improved it for 10 years. I'd been involved in that industry, um, in other leadership capacities. So on boards and committees and that sort of thing in the industry. So it wasn't that I was an unknown quantity, you know, which can be really an uphill battle. So for me, it was like, well, they know me, they love me. You know, would they be willing to hire me to do this? And it's again, at some point, 
you can have all the planning in the world, but you do have to execute. You have to get out there. You have to try. And um, so the first thing I did, actually, I was approached about taking an interim CEO job, which I did, which was great because it was a multi-level thing. But when I was back in that role, I realized, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. So they actually offered me it full time. And I'm like, so you have to have the confidence and know yourself enough too to know not just to say yes, because, oh my God, I'm desperate. I need the money. But like to know that, oh man, it'll just be a repeat. And I don't need a repeat of what I've already done. I need to grow. I need to do other things. So, and, and for me too, it also meant, oh, I'm doing more of those things that I said I don't really love to do. So I need to align things better. But you know, being sort of that independent, being that sort of free agent. And for me, being an entrepreneur, it was a solopreneur, right? So everything relied on me. So it was, it wasn't that I had an assistant who could, oh, take care of the billing and take care of this and make sure that clients are paying and, and I'll get the proposal out and I'll deliver on the proposal or go travel or do this and all the things. But to me, that was, I was willing to make that trade-off because ultimately it meant that I had that autonomy was in, and freedom is what I, I really wanted most. So when I was able to do those types of things, it was while I was kind of running concurrent paths. So first it was go from W2 to solopreneur. And then it was, okay, I have a steady income stream. This is happening, but the type of work I'm getting paid to do isn't really right. So then start also on the side, doing some other writing and kind of the same process. People have to know you exist and know what you have to offer before they're willing to invest in you, right? And you have to believe in you enough because if you don't believe in you, how are you going to expect anyone else to believe in you? So it was building up sort of that 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 cred, right? It was like, yeah, I can write and here's what I've done. And and for, you know, what ultimately became ghostwriting, I can't share the work I've done with my clients because by nature, this is this is a weird thing, right? Trust me sort of situation because, uh, you know, it's confidential. They, you know, I, I, they should, no one should ever know that you're working with a ghostwriter unless you choose to tell them that. Right. Um, so like, how do I do this? I can ask them for recommendations, which my clients always happily do. Um, but it was a little bit of kind of putting myself out there. And then, that like I said, once it was fully into, okay, I am a hundred percent writer. Um, I think my little fear kind of, oh God, am I going to be able to replace this income or grow it if I, if I only do this? And so it was, yeah, I'll write your web copy. Yeah, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that. And, you know, like I said, I can do lots of things as I'm sure other, a lot of people can, but was I enjoying it? And why was the, was I the best suited for this, you know, sort of thing. So um, then it was narrow the focus because when you narrow the focus, it's not that you're turning away other opportunities. You, you are just green lighting it for those people who will go, oh, that's what I'm looking for. You're, I'm looking for my, an expert at this. I don't need, you know, what's the likelihood they need this and this and this and this. And they're all kind of disparate, un, unrelated things. Right. Well, and, what, and from your story, I just really appreciate that you narrowed down your deepest value of autonomy and freedom, because I think once you have that established, it's much easier to make those tough decisions along the path when you know like your deepest priorities at the end of the day. So I, I, I love that aspect of your story. And one thing from your content that just really resonates with me is just your emphasis on authentic communication, effective communication. And of course, as a ghostwriter, that's so central to what you do. But from what you see, 
whether it's on social media or in your career path, what do you feel like are the biggest challenges that people have in being authentic or being effective? And even deeper, what are the things people don't realize they need to work on? So what I see a lot is the hesitancy. They, they, they hear the word authentic and they're like, okay, yeah, but being authentically me is boring or no one would care about what I have to say, Amy. I'm not a, you know, they, they don't think they're a titan of industry or I'm, I'm not Gary Vee. I'm not whatever. I, you know, so I think people make the mistake that they, they try to be like someone they're not. Um, when it doesn't align with inauthentic. Yeah. 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 But they don't see it that way. They think, oh God, you know, to make it uh, is particularly on something like social media. Um, I, I need to, uh, what I should do is this, they should themselves to death, right? Where it's like, should do this. I should do this. I should do this. I'm like, no, what matters most to you? And I, you know, it comes down to, to those things, right? You know, the clarity of knowing what do I want? What matters most to me? And then letting being you know, brave enough to let that other stuff fall away and having to be okay with, you're not going to be, not everyone will love you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's hard. It's hard if you're someone like, like me, that, that was hard for me at first when I was putting content out, you know, um, not that I expected everyone to be like, fall in love with Amy. Oh, she's wonderful. I don't need the affirmation that people are like, you're the best. Like, I don't want that, but it hurts when you're a creative person and you put content out and people attack it because you do take it, I did, as a personal affront. Now, I've gotten a little better with that. But, you know, there's this quote that literally is on my wall, and I've mentioned this many times. Um, and this comes from my tourism days when I was at a conference. There was a gentleman there who um, is Sasha Strauss. And you can look him up on LinkedIn. Um, he laughs, I think, every time that I mention him. But he said something. There was this big insight. It, it made such an impression on me that I've kept it and I refer to it this day. It's you are something specific to a special view. And if you think about it that way, you know, you don't have to be all things to all people. And people get wrapped up in feeling like they have to. Oh, I'm going to offend somebody or this person's not going to like me. Now, I'm not saying you should that gives you free license to be a jerk. <laughs> but. You know, if you kind of go that's okay. Like it just gives you that freedom to like have your people align yeah. with you. If someone doesn't like you, they can keep scrolling. You know, they might leave a nasty comment, which has happened, you know, to me or, or privately or publicly. Um, but you know, you learn to deal with the trolls. And someone told me too, if you get to a point where someone's trolling you, you've made an impact in yeah. some way. So take it as a compliment. I was like, okay. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about that and talking about communication, I think and authenticity, it, it really comes back just it's so much easier just to be yourself and to find your own voice in there, because that is one way you can differentiate yourself and not worry that you don't have to compete with everybody else. You just have to be you. Right. right? So that that's number one. And I think, you know, in terms of some of the missteps people make, some basic things that I see are um, the lack of clarity when they are either doing a video or they're writing something, it goes all over the place. You're like, what is the point? Right. Um, or, or like they try to cover too much ground. They're not clear. It's, it's, you know, it, it, or it's confusing. And that, that's the thing. If you confuse, you're going to lose, right? Mm -hmm. People don't have the tolerance nor the patience or attention span to stay with you to kind of figure out what, what is she getting at? <laughs> you know, like they won't. They'll just keep scrolling. That's the nature of the beast. So 
it's yes, it takes some work, but if you kind of stick with, okay, I want one takeaway in my communication. What do I want people to get after reading this, after viewing this, whatever, that's a really good rule of thumb. And, you know, if you have three or four or five different things, you know, you can create that many pieces of content. Yeah, it's it's more content versus one piece. I think that's what I realized getting on LinkedIn, especially is because like the videos tend to be so short and we're used to doing public speeches where it's like three hours or two hours. We're like, whoa, I don't have time to like tell my story. It's like, I don't even have time to make two points. It's like, you just got to make your point and get out for sure. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about your writing um, is you write like someone talks or communicates. And I've noticed that sometimes people instead of communicating, especially on social, like they talk or even like in our book, it's like we wanted to the book to sound like us, like someone was having a conversation with us, which didn't always work with the editors, but we're, we're working. <laughs> it. Um, so uh, I think that it's refreshing. And I think like when I read your stuff and it's like one line and then a paragraph and then like two, it's just it's just, oh, OK, it's like I'm in a conversation with you, right? And yes. so can you maybe just open up on that a little bit and, and mm-hmm. share how, I don't know so much how you got there, but like how people can do that as well. If there's any insight you have. Yeah. I, I, thank you for that because that's intentional. And I think it's much easier for people, you know, I tell them to write the way you speak. I mean, obviously make sure that you're grammatically correct and there's punctuation right. and different things, but if you know the rules, you can break them in such a way that it, you know, drives people kind of go, Oh, okay. Right. So you want to make it interesting. If you're the type of person that speaks and your blocks of text and you never, you know, deviate from that and your tone stays the same and it goes another, you're boring no matter what you're going to do. So I would advise against that. I advise breaking it up. However, I like to think about anytime I'm writing something I, I or a video or any piece of content, I'm having a conversation with somebody, right? I mean, that's the thing about social media. It's social because it's not, you know, a soliloquy. It's intentionally supposed to be a conversation or a dialogue. At least that that's sort of the hope is that you have something that will engage another human being. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think about social media and, and content in that way is that it, you're starting a conversation. And mm-hmm. how would you talk to somebody? And, and the other part about this that's really important for people when we talk about authenticity is your voice is your voice. So if you write in such a way that is very academic and and there's nothing wrong with that, but if you write in in that sort of way, but when somebody meets you in person, you know, or does a zoom call with you now, right. And you are vastly different. It's, they're going to be like, what? Well, who's the real you, you know, who, who's the real person? It's okay to be more conversational in tone. I mean, obviously it depends on the audience, but you shouldn't be afraid to be you because you know, at its core, you want to be able to communicate with somebody. You don't want to put up barriers or make it difficult for people to, to know, like, and trust you, to understand what you're saying, and to invite. I think of it as inviting somebody in, right? It's an invitation when you put something out there. Um, and if you, uh, you know, use really big words just for the sake of making yourself look smart, or you know, that can make somebody else feel dumb. It's like. You want to do that. You want to make it easy for others to engage with you, for sure. Well, in so many ways, you're really humanizing the conversational piece of things. And and sometimes when someone's taking a video or putting out content, they forget that they're literally other human beings on the other side of the camera, taking Mm -hmm. it and conceptualizing their content. So I think that's really beautiful advice. And 
One thing that I also really appreciated from one of your recent posts is just talking about having more of an introverted personality in certain aspects. And just, I think a lot of people think of leadership as a personality type. Mm. And I'm curious, Craig, Craig would call himself more of an ambivert, like a little bit more on the introverted side of the spectrum, but can you speak to that a little bit and maybe how you found your voice not being maybe an extreme extrovert at that space of life? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I, I actually feel like most leaders are introverts, um, you know, and, 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 you know, I think people confuse introversion with shyness or introvert, you know, I mean, introversion versus extroversion at its core, it's really how you derive your energy, right? So an introvert can speak to a room full of people, can do all this, but they need a little time to recoup and, and, you know, and they can be in highly social roles. My husband, for instance, you know, has been in sales and he's the COO and he's constantly on the phone and dealing with people, but he's an introvert. So he needs time to like back off. I'm actually an extrovert but I'm the most introverted kind of extrovert. I think it's an ENFP. Um, so I love people and I love being around them. But, you know, I think it's once I get to know somebody, do that, then, you know, then it would be like, I like, I don't enjoy being the center of attention. That's mm -hmm. like, not my thing. That's why when I wanted to be a filmmaker, it was about being behind the camera. So for me, it was like putting yourself out there. I think what you have to do is kind of draw on those natural gifts, right? And um, yeah, I'm an extrovert, but like I said, when I was a kid, it was really about observation. It was about taking it in. And I think um, it is just sort of like, okay, you know, um, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, in terms of being a leader, I, I think it's, you have to always make it not about you, right? So, you know, it's, it's really always going to be about somebody else. I think when you get into the habit of putting others ahead of yourself as a leader, as an, an entrepreneur, it's sort of what would my clients want, what my potential customers need, that sort of thing. You can get into a headspace where it's, it's never about you or your product or your service or this. It's about the other, how you can help somebody else. So um, I think, you know, I think I'm deviating from your original question, which I'm now I'm like, oh God, I'm doing that thing I say I hate to do is like <laughs> rambling, but. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that thought process. Cause I do think some, I think oftentimes people put themselves in a box. I know it's mm -hmm. black or white. I'm an extrovert yeah. or I'm this or that. And it's like, we're so much more dynamic than that. I also love the thought process of it isn't about you and just letting your natural gifts really flow and um, taking that light off of, off of yourself and, that capacity is powerful. So, yeah. Well, Carrie, we did a talk once, and Carrie said something really powerful. She said, uh, "I'm quoting my wife here. She's, she's also listening." But uh, you know, broadcast who you are so that like the right people can find you. Yeah, right? that's great. That's great. That's exactly it, right? Because it, that makes it easy for them. Your your tribe's out there. Yeah. They really want to connect with you and follow you and and be part of your world but they will never know that until you sort of are clear yeah. on who you are and what matters most to you. And then when you do have that relationship, it's authentic because they're attracted to the real you versus yes. like LinkedIn version of you or the Instagram version or the, the book version of you or whatever else. Right. So, right. Yeah. So, so powerful. Thank you for, I think, getting us to that space. Is like, <laughs> it's so, it's so valuable. And like, to your point, you know, I, I, I we still struggle with this because I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm a former banker and like Carrie's former teacher. It's like, we have so many things we can do, but being able to zoom in on like, what are you really good at 
is a super valuable tool and skill and it takes some discipline <laughs> to do that. I think right? so. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you'll find as, as people do, particularly if you, you can do a lot of different things, there's always going to be that common thread right? That weaves its way through your personal professional experience, why you're drawn to certain roles and in certain industries and doing certain things, because that's probably drawing on your natural strengths for sure. So yeah. when you can identify that thing or those things, that will help you too in finding that clarity. So it, it is a useful exercise to kind of examine, kind of step back and, and sort of have that awareness to go, oh, oh, actually I never thought about it that way. But you're, then you're like, oh, okay, then I should do more of that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and you, you did a great job by like creating an entrepreneurial skill and then tying that back to your passion, right? And I think a lot of people go into entrepreneurship being like, I have to be passionate about being an entrepreneur or my, my, my like medium. And, and we don't necessarily believe that. It's just like a tool, right? And you can mm -hmm. learn that tool and then also transition that into a passion like, a, you know, charitable work or, or writing or whatever else it is somebody's really, really passionate about. So thanks for kind of living that example. That we're, uh, that we're big proponents of, of really sharing and teaching. Uh, so I, I think what would be helpful for our audience is if you could just maybe share a tip that comes to your mind in terms of being self-employed, being an entrepreneur, like any mistake, like just like one thing that you think would be maybe helpful from your journey that you'd like people to take away. Um, and then I'll let Carrie close this out, but thanks a lot for being with us today. There's definitely a ton of takeaways and I would like to take like 30 minutes and go into each one of the takeaways <laughs> that, that we, we probably could go deeper on, but for sake of all of our times, we should probably move on. But, um, yeah, maybe a tip uh, or, you know, that comes to mind. And then I'll Carrie. Sure. Sure. So I think the biggest lesson in my entrepreneurial journey and just a career in general, and I, this really came into play last year was protect your time. So what I mean is, you know, you need to establish boundaries. You need to learn to say no. You can say yes to the right things, but you have to first say no to the things that and the people <laughs> that don't serve you. Right. That aren't helping sort of accelerate your growth uh, as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as a leader, those types of things. And we all have those elements. Right. That distract us from what we really need to do. So I think protecting your time is really important for me personally. Um, what that means is, and I've already talked about the autonomy and freedom, that means taking back my calendar too. And I decide when I'm available to do these things with my clients. So, um, and it doesn't mean I'm, I, you know, I, I, you don't need to be available 24 seven, but you do need to establish boundaries and you like, this is when I do work and then do that. So for instance, I'd never do client calls or very rarely on Mondays because there's a lot of holidays and things. Um, and Fridays, I typically don't too. And when I do something like a podcast, um, it's always going to be on those bookend days, right? Today is Friday, actually. So we do it today. Um, and I really try to kind of say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And when you protect your time and you are intentional with your activities and how you spend your time and who you spend your, you know, your time with, I think it, it opens up your world. Suddenly, you know, you think, oh, I don't have time. Well, no, you just don't have priorities and you have, don't have alignment. It's amazing what happens when you, you get very intentional and aware and protect your time. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so much to say on top of that. It, well, one of the reasons we started the podcast is so we can help people get close to like what matters most to them, mm -hmm. right? And being able to protect our time and guard it and set our priorities is it doesn't get more valuable than that, really. So congrats to you. And, and I think what we've realized, the more success we've had in entrepreneurship and in life, the more people that want access to you and your time and have ideas and even yeah. great ideas or 
investments or just, I mean, so many things that come into play and being able to say no is such a powerful skill. So thanks for yeah. sharing that. For really yeah. Appreciate it. yeah. And I see a lot of people who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs, they think, well, when I'm successful, then I'll start protecting and guarding my time. <laughs> but it's so important to see yourself as a leader, see yourself as successful already because, because it's through doing exactly what you've shared that you actually scale and grow and become successful in whatever your pursuit is. So I think that's really sage wisdom in a lot of ways. Um, for people to find you, we, we mentioned this fantastic newsletter that Amy puts out. Highly recommend getting on the newsletter distribution. And then what are other ways people can find your content, access you, get more of your thought process? So not surprisingly, the social media ghostwriter is highly active on social media. So you can certainly find me um, on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and now on Clubhouse too, the newest, latest kid on the block. Um, I, I still write for Forbes. So you can certainly find me on Forbes under leadership. I'm there. And um, if you want sort of one-stop shopping, you can visit my website, uh, which is amyblashka.com. I'm sure it'll be in the you know show notes because my name has so many consonants in it that people get confused. <laughs> so you can find it all there. That will give you access, obviously, to my social media channels, to Forbes, as well as my illuminating newsletter, as you mentioned. And thank you so much, Carrie, for subscribing. I am having some fun with it. And um, it is another outlet for me to share my wisdom, certainly, but also let some of my personality shine through. So it is, I'm thank you that you thought it was hilarious. So there, there are yeah. funny bits in there. Well, we, are... can, we can feel that you're having fun through it, which is the ultimate. I mean, that's what you want as a reader, right? Is to be able to experience that through the writer. So Super. Well, there's so many different ways people can support you, find out more about what you're about. And um, I know there's just a lot for the audience to unpack. So taking elements and really working on implementation for, for all the listeners today. And more than anything, I hope everybody enjoys the grind. And thanks so much, Amy. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review and be sure to visit tandemconsulting.co backslash talks.